Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Hey Lisa, great to have you here. It's been a long time. Oh my goodness, it is so good to speak to you again. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's been way too long. And how long have we known each other? I don't know, 10 oh, years or something. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I was think I was trying to work that out myself, but it, it must be at least 10 years, I reckon. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it is. And, and, and we'll be meeting again soon at the New Beginnings Fair, which I'll tell everybody about a little bit later, but that's exciting. Oh, fantastic. I, I have to laugh these days. I love it. We're all so busy that we often just get to catch up when we do interviews and things. So it's just like chatting to a good old mate. <laughs> well, that's good. And, look, and that's, hey, that's um, not a bad segue to what I want to talk to you about. So I'd like to have a little delve around and find out a little bit about your life and how you kind of keep it all together with all the stuff that you do so if it's okay with you we'll sort of go you know behind your desk under your desk and delve everywhere is that all right yes look there's nothing off limits I'm a completely open book so go for gold give give it your hardest (laughs) okay well look I tell you what let's just start off with could you just give us a bit of a snapshot of I know you're doing some wonderful stuff these days uh, with the collective and all the work that you're doing. So just give us a snapshot. What are you up to? What kind of, what, how do you spend most of your time? Uh, look, it's so hard. Someone, I was doing an interview the other day and someone said, what's your typical day like? Actually, I get asked that quite a lot. And mm. I tell you what, like many of us who are working for ourselves or have our own businesses, there is no such thing as a typical day. Uh, but yeah, I launched the collective in March 2013 after mm. having had my own businesses in to varying degrees for 12 years prior to that. Well, yeah, and um, I think we, we definitely um, we crossed over in a few of those. I remember your book publishing yeah. business, a whole lot of stuff. So, what what is the, in a in a, in a nutshell? What does the collective do? So the collective basically started as a print magazine, which was interesting because at the time I launched it, I had three staff all under the age of 25, none of whom had ever worked for a magazine in their lives. And we went into a market where there were already 5,500 print magazines in Australia alone. So it was an interesting time. Mm, interesting. <laughs> but definitely proof that Anything, and I mean anything, is possible. So the collective, I started it because I'd had my own businesses for such a long time and I was surrounded by these extraordinary inspirational entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and and I just thought there's nothing out there in the media. You know, we were continuously fed this negativity and sort of salacious gossip and vacuous mm. content and I just wanted something that would really tell the story behind the story and how people got to where they got to. So the collective is really all about inspirational stories and of incredible individuals and brands from all over the globe and traversing a multitude of industries but since I launched the print magazine it's sort of diversified into a number of different platforms really with the core essence being um, to, to help to empower people to live their best life fantastic so that's kind of it <laughs> well look so the magazine is still very much the kind of spearhead of what you do but then as you say it's kind of spun off into a number of other areas. We will no doubt come across a couple of those as we talk. But it's an international magazine, am I right? It's not your market is is broader than Australia these days. Yeah, look, it's now in thirty-seven countries. Actually, it's been my in 30- goodness. <laughs> it's been in thirty-seven countries since eighteen months after I started it, and. 
There are so many lessons. Honestly, I can say to anyone, I, I had no experience in this and it was just a lot of a lot of hustle and a lot of I think we often overcomplicate business mm. and life itself. And literally sometimes naivety can be a good thing and you know, and a pain point. And the pain point for me was, you know, I'm so sick of there not being anything for me or for people that I know out there. And look, it's um grown purely because I've just kind of thought laterally and and then Mm. just logically and put the next foot in front of the other and kind of gone, well, if I wanted to get into other countries, how could I do it? And, you know, if I wanted to get it here, how could I do it? And Fantastic. um, So this curiosity is obviously something that that really drives you. Let me just hold you there for a second. Let me just make a quick comment to our listeners. If you're listening via iTunes and you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave us a short review. And don't forget, we welcome comments and discussion on Facebook or via the page this show has on Flying Solo. And support for this podcast comes from Sendle, the door-to-door parcel service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendle.com forward slash flying solo to get free Sendle premium with 120 bucks a year. And you'll get an extra dollar off every parcel you send. Now, that's a great deal. And back to you, Lisa. So... You're saying I, I'm going to buy into your ad right there. I'm, I'm writing that down. Oh well, it's look. I've got we to have tell you so that much post going out. Oh it's well, insane. then you must you must look Sendle. at it. They're okay. lovely guys. They're lovely guys, and uh, you'll recognise um, you'll recognise the people involved. I'm sure, and uh, okay. they're really doing some great stuff. So yeah, we're really happy to to have them on board. Sendle.com forward slash flying solo. Oh, now, so curiosity. That was where I was kind of going, and I think that's mm. what you were suggesting. And it, you make it sound as if some of the um, kind of shifts and progressions that you made were very much you just kind of discovering as opposed to necessarily a sort of detailed strategic plan. I mean, would, is that right? Or knowing you, I'd imagine there's a pretty solid plan behind everything you're doing. Well, there is increasingly, but definitely not. I mean, everything I do pretty much is back of the envelope. I mm. sort of go out quite quickly with something with because I think the problem is people write these 100-page laborious business plans and they put all their time, effort, money and everything they've got into this thing. Mm. And, you know, it might be a year down the track and suddenly they realize, oh, there's actually no market for that. And what I found, and I've iterated across a number of different industries and businesses over the last 14 years, is that you very rarely end up with what you started with or what you Mm. thought the product or service was going to be. And so really what I've done is I've become the the Lisa Messenger queen of failing fast. (laughs) And, you know, I think for years people thought failure was such a bad word and, I mean, Mm. now it's bandied around and I think everyone's getting on the fail fast bandwagon. But I really truly believe in it. You know, you can plan to a certain degree, but literally I've just kind of jumped and done the next thing. And sometimes, you know, it's been a mistake, but I've been able to, to do it very quickly and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, and I guess guess what you're saying there as well is that failing fast, there's a kind of uh, implication there that you're not necessarily shoveling massive kind of finances in before a failure. So you're, you're kind of putting your foot in the water, you're testing something, and then drawing a conclusion pretty quickly by the signs of, is this going to work or isn't this going to work? I mean, do you have many sort of uh, failures that are very expensive or have you managed to minimize those? I managed to minimize them. And do you know what the fun thing is? And I mean, I just, my latest book, Money and Mindfulness, I wrote all about this. I think there are, 
And I think it's one of the most imperative lessons for people in small business that there are more currencies than cash. And so a lot of what I've been able to do is, and and then business becomes so much fun because I've been able to work out, well, if we share similar values and belief systems and have similar customer profiles and audiences, then let's find other ways to do business together. And so that also um, helps with, you know, not spending a lot of money because I can I can look at well what are my saleable tangible assets what have I got that I can trade and so a lot of what yeah, we've okay. done with the collective is um, you know we've contrad things or we've done articles and then the people we've done articles for have amplified that out to their huge databases um, sometimes instead of advertising like taking an advertising dollars I've said to people well, why don't you pay me in product and I'll carry the risk to actually move it so I've just done business in a heap of different ways and mm. what it's done is it's opened up so many opportunities and it becomes really good fun because it's not always ah well they can't pay me to do this or I can't pay them to do this in cash let's find other ways of doing things and so that has mitigated a lot of the risk on a lot of occasions and helped to really amplify the collective brand and also the people that we're working with so that's fantastic let me ask you you're you're clearly someone who has a lot of ideas you're constantly thinking just I'd like to ask you a couple of questions firstly when do you when and how do you have your best ideas <laughs> or never in the office. So I right. think this is one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, because I think what happens is we all think, and so many people who've got their own business rules will relate to this. We think, and it's taken me years to to reverse this mentality. I have always thought, even when I had three staff, um, you know, I need to be in the office at eight thirty every morning when they're there, and I need to leave at six or whatever, and I need to be the last person to leave, and you know, that's when I'll do all my work, and I need to be seen. Mm. And what I realised is there's a big difference between being busy and being productive. When I'm in the office, I'm busy. And I now have 25 full-time staff in the office. So, you know, I go to the bathroom and five people ask me a question. So <laughs> I'm busy and I'm always reacting and putting out fires and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But when I'm productive and when I actually get solid work done is when I'm out of the office. So, and my best ideas come when I'm in the shower or when I'm going for a run or when I'm traveling or whatever. And so I think that are opportunities everywhere if you're open to them. And I would suggest that, you know, I just make it, um, you know, my thing to get out into the world and just see as many different things as possible. And if I'm in Sydney and I'm not traveling at that particular time, well, I might go to a far-flung suburb in the deep west that I've never been to and explore the shops or get into the back streets and, you know, meet different people. And so I'm just constantly filled with ideas. Fantastic. So when you you talk there about, um, you know, when you're traveling and maybe, you know, sitting around in airports can be a good time, do you though if you if you have like a week where you know you're going to be in your office for whatever reason you need to be in your office yes. how does Lisa Messenger really kind of acknowledge and uh, kind of support herself in that sort of a week what's what's what sort of things might you do during your day during your evening that would give you the kind of recharge that you need to be your best self so I think for me, what I've realized is, it's funny, and this is probably counterintuitive to anyone who sort of knows me, I would I display extreme extrovert qualities. I'm out there on the speaking circuit, I'm living life out loud, and everything's kind of big. But actually, I'm an introvert. So it's really important, I think, for people to realize what recharges them. So I... Mm get highly energized from being around people in short spurts of time do you know i I thought you were about to say i get highly energized by people around me in shorts so i'm glad (laughs) 
I'm glad you carried on. <laughs> well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> All right, but so energized by people around you in short bursts of time. So tell us more about that. I can't be sensible now. <laughs> Gosh, where was I? Yeah. Um, I'm, Short very, I'm also of time. a very visual person, so oh, okay. I shouldn't <laughs> um, have done that then. So, so, so what I do if I'm sort of in the office, often what I'll do is I won't come in till 10 a.m. So yeah. I will have time outside, and I might go for a walk in the morning, do some meditation, do some journaling, and do things that will really ground me before I come into the crazy. Then when I'm in here, I'll just make sure that I have certain times where I might turn off my emails so that I can actually concentrate on, you know, doing something strategic or whatever. I think that's kind of important. And then I also, because I think all of us are busy and we have so many different things coming at us all day, every day. So sometimes I'll just take a, um, like it might be a five minute break. We've got a big um, deck with plants and I might go out there and just, you know, cut the bushes back for a minute or, you know, water the plants or something like that. Just things that sort of circuit break and allow me to come back a little bit refreshed. Otherwise you just kind of, you know, keep going and going and going and going and it all can become quite overwhelming. Yeah, okay. So what you're saying there is you make sure that before you come into the office, you've, you've already given yourself a good solid block of time. And then during the day, you're sort of peppering your day with certain breaks. Do those people around you when you're sort of outside watering the plants, does, does everybody know, leave Lisa alone, she's getting a bit of She's Lisa doing time. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They do. And I think my biggest thing there would be be unafraid to set boundaries. You know, yeah, like okay. as I said, me coming into the office at 10, which is I normally don't come to the office but before 9.30 or 10. And for years I would have thought that was complete sacrilege and who mm. was I to do that? And actually now I realise that that's, how I do my best work. If I've actually grounded myself and kind of got into the mental headspace to start the day in the office, then then that, that works for me. So be unafraid to have not negotiables. I have other things as well, like times when I go to training. So, you know, I often like three days a week, if I'm in the office, I'll go to bar body is my latest thing. It's a cross between yoga and ballet and I love mm. it. So I will go out and leave all technology behind and then I've got an hour. It's almost like a, a meditation for me. And so I think it's really important because as well for years I kind of thought, oh, no, I'm too busy. You know, things creep up. I won't do that. And what I realized is without that personal me time, I can't operate. I'm not the best mm. version of me. So it's allowing yourself permission to do those things. Yeah, and I'm guessing that if we had somebody on the on the call now who's who worked with you for a number of years, They'd probably say that the uh, the Lisa that comes in at ten o'clock is is a little bit more level than the one that came in at eight. Yeah, would that be right? <laughs> I absolutely, I think mm. so. Yeah. Now yeah. you used a lovely expression a few moments ago, which you you said, uh, "Come into the crazy." Yes. Is that is that how you? <laughs> that's a it doesn't sound like an accidental phrase. It's that, is that how you kind of view in a positive way? I'm sure, but is that is that how you view the office? Is this coming into the crazy? Yeah, so yeah, it is. It's it's crazy. I mean, in a in a great way, but also, you know, as the as a leader or you know the head of a business, you you sort of you still are the go to person, no matter how much you um, put levels of you know people in there to deflect things. Unfortunately, you know, when when the proverbial hits the fan, people mm. come to you to kind of deal with it. And um, but also, you know, we're in a severely high growth business. I mean, as I said, the print magazines in thirty 
27 countries. And then we have about 18 different revenue streams and different extensions and things we're building all the time. So it's very fast paced and it's very exciting, but it means that there's just, you know, things just bang, 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 bang all, all day. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I love. It's, it's a complete adrenaline rush, but, you know, there needs to be some, um, I won't use the word balance, I'll use the word blend, but there okay. needs to be, you know, <laughs> there needs to be other sides to that as well. Sure. So are you, are you avoiding the word balance? Is this a conscient, conscious avoidance? It's a very conscious avoidance. I, I kind of think, I don't know what your views are on the word balance, but I feel like the word balance positions work as the enemy. And I feel mm. like when you have chosen what you um, want to do and you know what your why is and you know what your purpose is, then I feel that, you know, I like the word blend because I don't finish here at six o'clock at night and go, well, that was nice. You know, I'm always, I love what I do and I'm passionate about it. And I think when we're working you know, or whatever we choose to do in life, we spend so much time doing it that we should love it. And so, I'm, you know, I, when I switch off, I consciously switch off. But I, yeah, okay. I, I also... I, that's, that's a lovely view. Sorry to cut across you. I think that's a no, lovely, no, no. lovely way. I, I, I hear a number of people, and I'm, I must admit I'm one of them, that, um, that does struggle somehow with how to talk about balance. And I've tried saying, well, it's not balance between, it's balance within... Yeah. But um, balance, blend's a far better word. Well done. I like yeah. blend. <laughs> it's funny, I, I went away with a friend down south a few weeks ago and it wasn't until, you know, someone from the outside is watching what you do and it was the weekend and I realised that um, we went to the Kalbara Markets mm. in the middle of nowhere and I realised that, you know, I couldn't wait to go and chat to the, the storeholders um, about, you know, the candles that they'd made or the whatever and and then I realised that every single little town we drove through I had to jump out and go and chat to the newsagent and say, hey, how's the collective going and thanks for talking. But I didn't, I did not even conceive of that being work for me. That's just my passion. I love chatting to mm. entrepreneurs and passionate people and I love thanking people and I love getting amongst people like that and and he said, wow, you're always on, aren't you? And I was like, nah, that for me was like a serious holiday <laughs> because I love it and it was relaxing. So that I think it's it's interesting what, you know, and, and I could go into a bookshop and and raffle through books and things. And, you know, some people could say, well, that's work for me because I'm mm. always looking for new ideas and things, but I love it. So, and look, I, what do you, look, I think this is all wonderful and, I, and I, I can't disagree and won't disagree with anything that you say. But what you must you, come across. You're welcome to. <laughs> no, no. Well, I just like to, we can, there's no doubt anyone listening will, will totally get that you very much love the work that you're doing and you're doing very well through your work. Um, what would you say, though, how do you approach somebody who's just not feeling it in that way? What do you say to that person? Well, I get asked a lot how you find your passion or your purpose mm. or your why in life. And and I also, in the same sentence, a lot of people say to me, I'm going through a really tough time in life. I just don't feel like, you know, um, and I say, this is good. This is the perfect time. Like when you are severely pissed off with something or something's really annoying you or there's a pain point, then that, I, in my experience, has always, always been the absolute point at which my life has turned around for better. Um, and I can say that over and over again. Mm, okay. um, when I first, uh, I wrote my first book, Happiness Is, in 2004 with no publishing experience. And the reason I wrote it was I was desperately unhappy and I was going through a divorce and I'd alienated my family for three years and I was drinking way too much. Like it was a train smash. <laughs> right. And so I decided 
well, I am so desperate to understand what happiness is. I'm going to go out there and just ask people what happiness means. And and that was the start of um, a great, you know, publishing, accidental publishing journey where, you know, I've written lots of books and published a lot of books for other people. And a bit the same with the collective. I was kind of like, if I see Kim Kardashian's bottom on another magazine, you know, or, so, or I hear about one more murder or a car crash or something just so negative, then, you know, uh, what's the point? So I was so cranky that it kind of amped me up to start the collective. But it could be as simple as, you know, your baby is getting rashes from the nappies. So you mm. think, this is crazy. I need to develop my own nappies. Or there's a multitude of things, and I often find the real passion and the real driver comes from a pain point. And if you're experiencing it, then it's likely that a whole lot of other people are as well. Yeah, okay. And your approach is very uh, clearly very entrepreneurial. So if you've got a pain point, you will look for what you're saying, you'll look for the opportunity in there. There are some people, I guess, that have got businesses and they've been running them for a while and they're just not really enjoying them. So it's not so much a, uh, a spike of pain. It's like a gentle throb of annoyance. Yes. You know what I mean? What about in I that do. situation? What do you what do you do? I guess if we're talking here maybe more about re-enlivening passion as opposed to looking for it where it doesn't exist at all. Yeah, and look, it's a really good point. And I had that for several years. So after I wrote Happiness Is and then my book publishing business took off and it was all great. You know, it was a profitable business, but it did not excite me at all. Like, Mm. because it was a relatively simple process in terms of, you know, it was kind of a four-step process in terms of putting a book out. And it was very by wrote and there was only three of us and I could not work out for the life of me how to grow it or how to build extensions and it's, it became a very one-dimensional business for me and I was bored out of my brain. <laughs> right. And so that's when I started looking for, God, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And, you know, it, it actually took me about four years before I, you know, the collective just dropped and it became so obvious to me. And so I think it is hard. And and now with the collective, having been in that position, I swore I'm never going back into that position where everything's one-dimensional and I don't know how to build it. Right. And so with the collective now, what I say, and this possibly will help people, is I think people become so attached to a specific product or service, and I'll give an example, Kodak. So Kodak, sure. you know, probably talked, thought all about, well, we produce film or whatever. Yep. But what I say to people is, Focus on the overarching vision and your value and your why. Like really search for that. And then the product or service becomes irrelevant. Like if Kodak, I'm just making this up. I don't know much about what went on. But but if they had have said, we are in the business of producing extraordinary memories for people, then film would have potentially become irrelevant and they could have decided, you know, iterated into all sorts of other areas. And so that's what I'm constantly doing with the collective. My personal mandate now is to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud and showing that anything is possible. So it doesn't matter if I'm producing a print magazine or a podcast or a book or I'm doing a speaking gig or we're producing some other sort of product. And so that's when business becomes very exciting if people are able to remove themselves from the actual day-to-day doing and the thing that they're attached to and work out hang on a minute what is it that I'm actually doing because then I think it suddenly opens up this whole realm of possibility and you know all sorts of different ways to do business um I'll give you an example I was with a 
a, a friend or a sort of acquaintance on the weekend who mm-hmm. don't worry said, we don't need to know whether how, how, how close a friend <laughs> but I mean this is sort of an example and it's always that fine line between um, you know not to del- not moving too far away from your focus because I think focus is an imperative in business mm-hmm. but also allowing yourself to morph and change with the market and keep yourself back to your question you know excited continuously um, because if I was just now doing the print magazine every single day I'd kind of be going mad because it's I love it but it's quite systemized and process driven now. So this friend of mine said to me, she's off to China um, in the first quarter of 2016. And I said, oh, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm, she's a designer, fashion Mm. designer. And she said, oh, well, I go around to these shops and I do this and I do this. And she explained the process to me about how she designs the label and she goes over there and gets it made. And, you know, now they can do as little as 50 pieces. And so my ears kind of lit up and I said, well, let's, um, and this sort of comes to the finding your passion and iterating and changing and failing fast. And I mm. said to her, oh, 50 pieces. I said, well, what would it take for you to, you know, design a, like a mini fashion range for me? And uh, she said, oh, well, we can design this. And I said, well, can you put a proposal together for me? Now, this is all around low risk, 50 pieces. I know now that um, on a daily basis we move a about $2,000 to $8,000 worth of product on our website alone and we've got hardly any product on there. Fashion and product. And I know, sorry? Fashion product. No, just oh, okay. my books and things. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. so nothing product, yeah. to do with fashion at all. But I right. just, but we've been looking for, you know, what's something else we can develop to start to sell and move. And so, so that became exciting because I know our audience you know is interested in that to a degree I know it's an interesting story for them and it allows me to kind of explore something different but without taking too much risk so I think it comes back to many things that you've said it's about you know being continuously curious um, and just being open to things but making sure you know I go well I'm in the business of media let's Mm. not start a fashion thing but I know enough about our audience that I, I know they'd potentially be interested in that and also with the brief conversation I had, I know it's potentially going to be a low cost to entry and not a lot of risk. Um, so I'm always looking at always things. Looking. So I would suggest for anyone who's sort of stuck in, you know, a bit of a rush, just explore a little bit further outside mm. and really think about what is my overarching reason for doing this? And they might just find that there's sort of a simple deviation that lights their fire again. Yeah, perfect. And th- tell me, do you find that, these opportunities and I'm sure a lot of it you talk about people in a, in a very sort of feeling way that's the sense I get from you that you you know you you have these friendships and you have relationships and the way you talk you've sort of given a little bit of an indication as to what it's like in your office do you are you attracting these people to you or are you are you going out searching how does what's the sort of balance there uh Probably attracting. And the reason I very consciously chose the language about friend and acquaintance was Mm. to sort of help other people to kind of go. It was actually a friend of a friend and I had a party the other night and, you know, she popped along and so I kind of knew her. But my point around that is just engage in conversations with people because, you know, you never know where they're going to lead. And I think it's, um, it's trying to develop a a mindset of, you know, self-assuredness and thinking, well, I can do that. Rather than, I think people often come at things thinking, oh, I couldn't do that. I don't know how that works. And actually, you know, it was really just at the beach 
you know, the next day and we, a bunch of us were hanging out and I said, oh, tell me about this trip. And she sort of started explaining it to me. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound that complex, you know. Mm. And so it's just be be curious and, you know, inqu- have an inquiring mind and just be open. Um, I think that those are the important things. Yeah, and look, and what I love about the way you do it is you do all of those things, but you also, by the sounds of it, you have a very strong sense that, kind of anything's possible it doesn't yeah you know you're not looking at something thinking well what could go wrong here you're thinking what can go right here what what might this look like where does where do you get that from is that is that learnt or is that something that's come from your family where do you feel that's come from uh look years and years and years and years of all sorts of things but i think the thing is the most simple answer to that is you've just got to push yourself a little bit further each time get comfortable being uncomfortable and I think having had my businesses for 14 over 14 years you know it's funny early on I remember I remember distinctly because this happened recently um in my first couple of years of business I remember thinking you know I had a 82 dollar you know, invoice that was outstanding or so I had to pay an $82 bill or something. Mm. And, and I was thinking, God, this is a nightmare. Where am I going to find this? And the reason I remembered that was, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a $82,000 bill that I had to pay in a day and I didn't have the money. And I realized my mindset around that was much calmer than probably when I had the $82 thing going on. Hmm. And so it has been a learned thing over the years. And I think the thing is that um, what I've done is I've just built extraordinary teams and people around me over the years. And that can easily be a lot of that is, you know, outsourced and people external to me helping me. But what it means is that I'm not I'm not holding everything myself. So I've been able to push things a little further and a little further. And then, you know, I know I can call my accountant or I can call, you know, a mentor or someone and say, hey, this is the situation I'm in. And and because it's always been okay at the end of the day, even though it's been pretty hairy at times on a daily basis now, I kind of just push it a bit further and a bit further. And And I think that's the thing, you know, and then you kind of realize – okay, well, I haven't gone under or this hasn't happened. So I'm just going to believe in myself a little bit more. And more recently, because of the collective, I've been fortunate enough to, I spent four and a half days on Richard Branson's um, private island, Necco with him. Uh, (laughs) I was going to get to that because I saw your pictures on Facebook. We can talk about that. And, you know, I got invited by Anna Wintour herself to meet with her in New York and amazing things. But anyway, what my point around that is that these are all wow moments. Like, Mm. oh, my gosh, wow, and that's important. But the bigger wow moments have been they're just like us. Now, I don't say that to be arrogant or conceited or full of ego or anything else but I say that because I think people need to remember that it's um and a lot of people aren't as fortunate as I've been to meet these people and what I realize is everyone has fears and uncertainties and everything else but you know these people just have a larger propensity for risk and they just put themselves out there and they just get their hustle on every single day and and so that's given me more confidence because I kind of go well everyone's you know, everyone's in the it, same position. Well, everyone has the same abilities. It's just who's going to push a little harder and believe in themselves a little more. So but it's a bit fake it till you make it, you know? All right. right, let's. right. We'll come back to Anna and Richard in a moment. <laughs> uh, but um, 
okay so the point there then is you've you clearly know um a number of of kind of ways and and uh processes where you can get reassurance if you're feeling like you don't feel concerned about an $82,000 invoice, you did feel concerned about an $82 invoice. So yes. somewhere in the middle, in the last sort of 13 or 14 years, there's become a level of assurance that is now kind of pushing through your veins. Yeah. And where do you go, though, if you, and, and then I'll move off this sort of topic, where do you go if you've got a point where, I mean, or actually, let me rephrase that. Do you get to a point at any point where that reassurance just isn't there? Do you do you still do you get scared at any point? And if so, what are the circumstances and what do you do about that? Sometimes, and it's it's a weird thing. I actually wrote a whole chapter called Fearless in my first book, Daring and Disruptive, that I put out a couple of years, uh, a year, well, October two thousand and. 14, whenever that was. Okay. <laughs> but um, because the thing about it is it's not that I don't feel fear, but what I've had to train myself to do very consciously and purposefully is move through it very, very quickly. And so the reason is uh, because as we grow uh, in business, things don't become easier. They become much more challenging. You know, now uh, 100 you know, hard things are thrown at me every single day as opposed to one. It's kind of the $82 and the yeah. $82,000 thing. And so I would be permanently catatonic in a ball on the floor if I if I let that come at me. So what I have done, and this is the simplest way I can explain it, is I've kind of made this thing where in my head I very quickly – whenever anything hideous comes at me, I go to the worst case scenario. Like, is my business going to go under? Am I going to lose my property? Um, you know, whatever it happens to yeah, be. Okay. Worst, worst, worst case scenario. And then what I do quickly, I don't stay there for very long, is I reverse engineer that in my head and I try and bring it back to the current situation. So I go, whoa, I could lose the business. Shit. Okay, what, who do I speak to? Okay, well, I if I speak to my accountant or if I do this or if I do this or if I do this and then suddenly it gives me peace of mind because I know that I've got the right people or teams or you know knowledge or whatever it is around me to bring it back to current day and then I quickly start to put those things into place so whether I email someone or I have a conversation or I get together with someone and because I think the problem is as business owners or solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, we hold mm-hmm. a lot of stuff ourselves. Yep. And really, if you can start to, you know, have an A team around you that you can kind of, you know, offload some of that information onto and get some help where you need it, then it becomes much more manageable and achievable. So, yeah, okay. so, so I- that's that's how I'm not permanently paralyzed by it <laughs> but it sounds like a lot of that is 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 work that you're doing in your head as well but um presumably uh, on some occasions you'll go okay well you know I, I like the way you spoke there about you'll kind of go to the worst case but you won't stay there um and yeah. I, I can i think that's a very good step because i think some people do stay there don't um, stay you know, there <laughs> and then that, that just kind of freezes you into inaction and anxiety and all of those things so you look at it then you step back from the sort of the edge and uh, and break down the steps, but it's, it sounds like a lot of that you're doing in your head. But maybe people that don't have the capacity that you have, like I'm, I my approach to that would be is not dissimilar. But I, I have to get stuff down on paper really quick. But you know, I'm a boy. I kind of I'm I'm, more, I'm simpler. <laughs> I just have to see things sort of written down. But I think that process yeah. you talk about is great. Now look, 
I'm going to just take us back to we'll we'll, we'll leave Anna Wintour for another time, maybe. Oh, okay, all right. We can do another catch. Well, up. just because she's <laughs> she's very specialised, and so you know, wow, I'd love to love to talk about her, but uh, having seen her in the movies and all those things, but let's talk about Richard Branson, okay? So yes. I've seen this picture of you and your cosy and Richard and, <laughs> Richard and his budgie smugglers, you know. <laughs> On, on, I don't get in my cosy up on um, social media, but I tell you, when I'm with Richard, oh, well, what can listen, one do? Hey, tell me, I'll wear anything to be with Richard Branson. Well, you know, within reason. <laughs> so there you are on the beach at Necker. Both got out of the uh, both got out of the ocean by the looks of it. What's he like to kind of be around? Just when you you know when all the lights are off, or the microphones are off, the cameras are off, you know, which is very much I gather his life on Necker. Yeah. What's he like to be around? What sort of aura surrounds the guy? You know, he's extraordinary and I will say many things. Um, so, and hopefully we've got a little bit of time, but mm. um, basically what I say is people often say to me, you know, who do you aspire to be like or who, who, you know, who do you think is fabulous in the world? And my answer to that now is unless I know someone personally, I don't really, you know, because I know everyone's surrounded by the media hype and the spin and everything else. And so until I meet someone personally, that is only when I can judge them. And what I will hmm. say about Richard is that I truly believe, you know, how he portrays himself in the world from my experience with him seems to be the way that he truly is. And I arrived on NECA with, there was 28 of us entrepreneurs and literally, I think it was two days before the Virgin Galactica um, disaster had occurred. And mm. so I thought, there's no way, why would he turn up here? He's never met us. He doesn't know us. He has no alliance to us. And the first morning I met him, he literally walked in in his bodies, not budgie smugglers, and uh -huh. bare feet into his living room and as he said he would and sat down and I said to him, why are you here? Like this just happened. And there were a couple of things he said to me which have stuck with me. And they were, he said, well, as a business owner or, you know, anyone in life, when a disaster happens, it's really important that you sort of front up and you, you know, take the rap and you, you know, you face the media and face the light or mm. whatever. Get back and in the he, saddle, in other words. Yeah, but mm. then he said, but then there were four hundred people there or something who actually knew what they were doing and he said I needed to get out of their way and empower them to get on with doing their jobs so and then he said and I made a commitment that I would be here so they were kind of the first mm. three things that came out of his mouth when I met him and I thought wow okay well who am I to you know sometimes think oh I can't be bothered to do that meeting or you know and so now I'm really trying to turn up and front up you know pretty much whenever mm. I need to and um I just thought, you know, and then literally he just hung out with us for four and a half days and, you know, had brekkie and went kite surfing past and went, you know, swimming and just kind of a, a normal guy, but, you know, a very big thinker. So, yeah. yeah, fascinating. And we're such a privilege to be there with him. Fantastic. Well, look, let's, we, we could talk more about that and we could definitely talk about Anna and some of the other people you met, but I'm going to draw us to a bit of a close. And let me just say before we go, as I mentioned earlier, Lisa Messenger has been my guest. She's starring at the New Beginnings Fair in Sydney on the 26th and 27th of February 2016. And yes, I'm presenting there too. The fair promises to be a unique event combining a large and interesting expo space and a select number of keynote presentations, giving soloists, lifestylers, small business owners and budding entrepreneurs the chance to meet and mingle. The New Beginnings Fair is happening at Pier 2-3 Hickson Road, Walsh Bay in Sydney. Check it all out and grab a ticket, if they've got any left, at newbeginningsfair.com.au. Prices start at a mere $35. And look, once again, support of this podcast comes from Sendal, 
the door-to-door parcel delivery service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendle.com slash flying solo to get free Sendle premium worth 120 bucks a year and you'll get an extra one dollar off every parcel you send and you better get there quick because i think lisa's about to head there i am um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm off yeah. all right lisa it's been so good to catch up with you and i look forward to seeing you at the uh, new beginnings but i can't wait to um yeah, spend some time I with you i can't wait and it's gorgeous to catch up with you too well thank thanks you. so much robert all right you have a great day and uh, enjoy your week and i'll talk to you and meet you soon thanks for sharing your time with flying seller No problem. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 